Welcome to the final episode of Vista Mall 2017 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors, where the fun never stops. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always for our final recap of the year is the Canadian who thinks he's the lead in an action movie, but is more suited to comedy, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's finally happened. We are at our final recap of the year. 59 episodes later. Wowzers. Yeah, wowzers. Arguably, not all of those you've been on, I have. But yeah, 59 episodes this year, and this is the final recap. And we've only got like two weeks off until Vidim 22, probably. By the time this comes out, you'll probably know when Vidim 22 is going to be. I'm assuming it'll be first Saturday of uh, of January as always. Yeah, I can't wait for Vidim 22, North Korea. That's a really interesting location for them to use. I can't believe they have actually finally gone to Iran. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the old axis of evil, am I right? Yeah, I mean... A split season between the UAE and Iran would never happen in normal conditions. It definitely wouldn't happen if uh, the Mall USA was still around. You say that, but by the time this comes out, we might actually know whether uh, Mall USA is is back for realsies, given we're recording this in the week when it's been announced that Mall US is coming to Netflix. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to get recommissioned or not. Well, we mentioned during Vidim 21, The Insider which everyone knows is just a reboot of the mole in the US. And that was for a mystery streaming service. And now it turns out, recording this in June, that a mystery streaming service, aka Netflix, have uh, have picked up at least the first season of Mole US, probably the first two. And well, we've learned never to say never anymore, especially with this big resurgence of reality TV over the past few years with all the different international versions. Us podcasting over 100 episodes of the mold does show how popular this franchise still is worldwide. This is the end of our 12th season of mold. That's a lot. Have we done 12 now? We've done 1920, Renaissance, 21. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 12. I knew my master's right. We've done six, uh, six Vidim and six Belgian. At least we're not we're not choosing. We're not favoring one over the other. No. I mean, that will change next year, spoilers, because we're probably going to do more Vidim next year. I already know what seasons I want us to do next year, and I think we have had a, a brief chat about what seasons I want to do next year. But um, yeah, at the moment, they are tied, as it stands. <laughs> and I mean, I've got to get this out of the way. For the first time all year, and the only time all year, Logan got the right mole at the end. Yay, me. I think this is also the only year of mole coverage ever that I've done where I have got every mole correct by the end. Because, spoilers for us doing our predictions at the end of episode 9, I did have Thomas finally in my number one spot this time. Oh, okay. We both win. I like that. We both win technically, just you had him in your top three, two or one every single week. Yeah, what was it? Number one seven times? Or no, number one six times, number two twice? I thought it was number one eight times, number three once. I think there's one number two, one number three, then everything else was number one. You would have hands down won the the Bubba's Bar suspect list. There's no question about that. I did say this to you earlier when you were watching the uh, the finale, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm right. I'm like, yeah, you should have seen the chat between me and Bundles after we recorded that first episode, and you were like, I'm going to put Thomas at number one. And I'm just furiously texting Bindles going, fuck, fuck, fuck. This is going to be less entertaining now. He's on the right track already. <laughs> so then Bindles joined us for episode three, and he's just like subtly tried to shove you away from suspecting Thomas all the time to make this entertaining all season. It didn't work. No, I, 
I just thought Thomas was just trying so hard at blending in, which if you're a contestant, you're not really going to notice. But as a viewer, it's like, man, if anyone can blend in, it's probably this guy. He'd be great to pick as mold to fool everybody else. And sure enough, at the reading, they say, hey, out of the 55 total tests taken this season, Thomas has only picked twice, and both times is by Sana at the end of the game. Yeah. And as Art says in the reunion, he is one of the least suspected moles ever. And then we have Vidim Georgia in the next the following year. Oh yeah, there is so much irony in a lot of the reunion here of Art talking about how it's not happened for ages that only one person's been on the mole and right at the end it's like, yeah, fast forward 12 months Art, you'll be saying exactly the same thing. Although I think Ruben picked Ian more than twice. Three, maybe four times. Yeah, it was definitely three. I can't remember whether it was four. But still, you have another one where only one person selects them all. It was kind of deliberate, the choices of seasons this year, that they are not two sides of the same coin as, as Argentina and South Africa and Belgium are, but they have similarities and they have a lot of differences. But anyway, we need to rattle through the finale in the reunion so we can talk about that stuff. So previously, the final four broke off their bonds, apart from Thomas and Diedrich, and bickered about the alphabet before Joachim won a challenge perfectly designed for him by doing absolutely nothing, and an exemption up to finale. The other three set the test, but the episode ended before we could see who went home. Joachim is worried he will lose his third bond this season in Sana, as Thomas has been in a bond with the mole since day one, and he hopes that Thomas will go home in her place. Art tells them at the execution that they should be proud to have made it this far, but leaving right before the end is a bitter pill no matter how much he sugarcoats it. Thomas gets a green screen before my number one mole of the season goes home in Diedrich. We already covered his execution last episode, we don't need to gloat about me being wrong. And the irony is, if I was a contestant this season, I probably would have lasted all the way up to this point and been shocked that Diedrich went home because Thomas and Diedrich were so intertwined a lot of this season. Yes, I didn't realize they were that close of allies to the point that they were sharing the same room. Uh, I think they said they shared the same room about for the whole for three and a half weeks straight. Yeah, it was pretty much the entire trip up until final four. Diedrich and Thomas were were pally at least. I think we saw the genesis of it in like episode two because I remember drawing attention to it. Like mm, this is going to be a very important thing soon, knowing of course as I did that. This happens at Final Four. Sana is in disbelief at Diedrich going home, and Diedrich says that he knew it was between him and Thomas as soon as Joachim got the exemption, so once Thomas got a green screen, he knew he was screwed. Certainly was between him and Thomas. The irony in us doing this is the fact that we've had a two-week gap between recording anything. So I watched this episode a week and a half ago, I think. I watched the finale a week and a half ago, and I watched the reunion an hour and a half ago. Yeah, well, what we did, of course, was we watched Diedrich's execution for in preparation for the last podcast. We had like, so I had about eighty percent of episode nine to watch yesterday, and then the reunion. At least there was. I will say this though: there isn't quite as much recapping in episode nine with the final three as there was this past season in Vidim Twenty One. Yeah, as much as I do really, really, really hate them revealing the fourth placer at the start of a finale because it makes it less likely you're going to pick the right person going into the finale which is you know stupid it helps with the pacing a lot because traditionally now the finales will have two challenges and then the final test and the reveal when they have a final four 
execution going into this or a final four test and execution at the start of it, as we have seen a couple of times, it does speed it up a little bit and make it feel a little bit less bloated as a finale. Yeah, by contrast, uh, I've mentioned this a few times, the American version of the mole, it's always a 40-minute episode with the final three. With Vidim, it's a, it's a running, it's a 60-minute episode. And of course, with Belgi, it's like 70 or 80 minutes. But Belgi does the whole reveal within the same episode. So that's why they can extend so much. Vidim always postpones it to the reunion show. So it's an extra 20 minutes of their filling with the same number of challenges as the American version does in the final three episode. So here, at least with having that execution at the start, it knocks it down to about 55 minutes they have to fill with two challenges. And I think the the first challenge isn't the easiest to follow on TV. And then the second challenge, it seemed more like an immunity challenge for a survivor because it's it's connect ropes together and then do a puzzle and then first person to win the to complete the puzzle is a chance to double their prize money. Yeah, it's sort of ironic that you delayed the recording of this episode by two weeks to do more on our story for Amazing Race 21, where the main twist is double your money. Yeah. And then there is a challenge in this episode, which is double your money. Yeah, in fact, I am. I was watching the episode while writing about the team who gets eliminated that was eligible for the double your money twist in Amazing Race. So it's like for one team, it works out well. Or for one person, it works out well, and then for Amazing Race, doesn't work out so well. And our final shot of Diedrich before he's in the reunion is his hat falling off as he puts his rucksack on, and then us getting the credits. The title of the episode is The End Is In Sight, and they are in Fort Rock, and Sana says she's struggling still with losing people that she likes, which sort of implies to Joachim and Thomas that she doesn't like them. Yeah. <laughs> Joachim says his bond with Sanna is now cancelled and he has to look for another mole. It could be her. She's taken a lot of money from the pot and as mole you have to be strong, have some life experience, dare to play the game and be able to handle stress. Everything in him is saying to go full beans on Sanna now. The irony is, of course, by the reunion, you know that the idea of Joachim knowing how a mole should act is ludicrous. We joke occasionally about some of these people never having seen the mole. Joachim has never seen the mole. A hundred percent. And fully admits it. We find out at the reunion that he did a lot of cramming before he went out there. Yeah, his family love it, but he has no idea about anything to do with the show. And then we also find out in the reunion that he was supposed to go home four out of seven executions. Yeah, there's a bit of grey area on that that I'm going to touch upon when we get to the reunion, because three of them definitely, the fourth one not so much. So it's day 15, Art meets them at an abandoned western town named Mole Town, which is not its real name, obviously. Of course we get the good, the bad and the ugly theme. (laughs) To earn money, they have to find out who lived in which house and label the street names correctly. Each sign that they place correctly in 20 minutes earns 50 euros for the pot. If they get everything correct, he will add a bonus for a total of 1500 euros. And essentially, it's a logic puzzle, which makes great television. It's funny that Joachim cancelled the bond with with Sane, because it only it's like oh man this long bond has to go away but it lasted for half an episode for one quiz where one of them was already immune so how was it really that close of a bond? 
Well, now she was eventually his Bond mistress, as we found out last week. She eventually was his mole bit on the side. I wonder if that was in his son's letter and, and his son's prep. Yeah, Make sure you have a bond with every woman in the game. Yeah. And treat them like absolute dirt. And uh, Malcolm says the word gorgeous as Georges multiple times. You've got my next note. My next note is Joachim pronounces gorgeous as Georges, and I feel like he's predicting the next season. <laughs> Georges, Georgia. Although I think in Dutch it's pronounced Georgie. What's What's funny about the notes so far is that every note you've said so far is exactly the only notes I've included in mine as well. Diedrich nearly loses his hat as he exits. Bond is cancelled. Everything's tense in the restaurant before they uh, before they were out there for day 15. It's almost like after nearly 120 mole episodes together, we're in sync. Oh man, I'm really trying really hard not to mention Last Bass. No, we're not covering the circle. <laughs> so Sana says she loves this challenge as she loves puzzles and cryptograms. They, well, Thomas and Joachim, decide to look inside one house each. And Sana decides to actually read the puzzle again like the normal person she is. I think even just watching this episode, even the first time, out of this final three, you can discount Joachim because, you know, they're not going to pick Joachim. They're 100% never going to pick Joachim. You can discount Sana because she's actually playing like a contestant in this challenge. Yeah. because It's funny because Joachim says Georges, and then Sana says Horges. And I'm thinking... Georges is a really tough word for Dutch people. <laughs> yeah. We have drop dead, it's it, which it doesn't bode well if the person's name is either drop dead Georges Lizzie, which mm, you can guess what that could mean, or it's drop dead Horges Lizzie, which again, it's like, hmm, I wonder what that means. <laughs> so Joachim, after his success in the final four episode of Coming Out of the Closet, Decides to say that if a house has a crib, then a woman and child live there. Very presumptuous. Thomas says he hates puzzles, so this isn't an assignment for him. And Sana works out in less than five minutes where two of the men live. They have no idea how to work out the streets, so Sana just guesses. And Joachim says that it's clear they missed their logistic leader in Diedrich. Maybe you should have let him win the exemption, Joachim. I mean, you would have gone home in his place, but maybe you should have let him win the exemption. All three of them said, oh, we really need a Dietrich for this one. Well, logical mind. He's a scientist. That's that's kind of what he's there for. Granted, Dietrich kind of failed as leader in a couple of previous challenges. Yeah, Dietrich is definitely the guy out of the ten who you would want to be in this challenge if you're a contestant. And the guy who you would 100% not want to be in this challenge if you were the mole. Yeah, because uh, because you think back to the alphabet challenge where he was the only one who caught on what they were supposed to do. Yeah, arguably he was shouting into the void having to deal with people like Joachim, but he worked it out at least. Or the, Although the walkie-talkie challenges with Diedrich did not go as well as they were, as they hoped. No. Thomas says that Santa's not a born leader, but she tries. Then someone puts a name board down for a woman who hates other women. And a man outside a house with a sewing machine. Joachim suggests that he's a cowboy by day and likes wearing women's clothing in the evening. I think it's just different sensibilities, I'll be honest. Like, Joachim is a very entertaining character. He's obviously not by far my favourite in this season. But I think it's just different sensibilities and just what he thinks is funny isn't necessarily. 
it's not it doesn't fit in with the crowd sense of humor no he very much bangs his own drum and in the final five minutes they swap four signs that were correct at least in Santa's mind and art being art teases them saying they lost a leader and it was obvious nobody listens to Santa. she says it's a learning moment you know in episode nine and he actually explains what they should have done because he's bored by their incompetence at this point in the season with a bit of luck, they had three correct signs, earning them 150 euros of 1,500 for the pots. And Joachim is suddenly treasurer. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh, indeed. It's a miracle that Sanna ended up actually keeping all of that money. Joachim says thanks to Sanna, they had three corrects, and thanks to him, they only had three signs. Thomas was invisible, which could have been a mole action. And they do also tell Diedrich not to watch this episode, which I think was a pretty big guarantee given he went home at the start of this episode. I think he probably would have PTSD from this episode generally. Not as bad of PTSD as Sigrid has. No. They wake up on day 16, so Joachim actually trying to work out who it is. He says, if you look through your mole book, you eventually have a revelation. Thomas says Sanna distracted him, but it's clear to him it's Joachim. Joachim's gut feeling is it's Sanna. Sanna says if Joachim's the mole, he was so nasty this season. They both swore they weren't the mole, and she trusts him, so that leaves Thomas as mole. He was her side suspect all along, which could explain why she survived, but it would make sense if he's the mole. Then we get loads of scenery porn from Oregon for the final time, before they are brought to Shevlin Park for the final assignment of the season. Just like at the beginning of the season, they will search a forest for something valuable. Art says that if they completed everything correctly, the pot would be 56,850 euros. Now you know what I'm going to say next, I suspect, on this one. Uh, oh, the actual amount? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like, I went through the rest of this season. My notes were slightly off. I can't remember whether I posted this in our chat. My notes were slightly off because I accidentally forgot a challenge or two or Mr. Zero or whatever. But the correct maximum I can make it is 54,750. Art says it's 56,850. And I don't understand how, how you can get that when there's two challenges where there isn't a defined amount on screen. And neither of those make sense with the 2100 missing, because it can only have been the Underground Town Challenge or the Rodeo Search Challenge. Neither of those make sense for an extra 2100 euros. So 54,750 is what I can make it. Yeah, I guess there is hidden money somewhere. They don't just randomly come up with that number. No, that number just doesn't make sense from what we saw this season. And I did have to go back to every single episode this season and amend the maximum amounts, which was a fucking nightmare a couple of weeks ago. Did you connect all of them by a rope? I did end up having to connect them all by rope, but I think with the exception of episode one, where there was only one challenge where they could earn money, I had to go back and correct every other amount, I think. It was a nightmare. <laughs> I should note that one of the funny things that Yakum says about Thomas is he says, Thomas was invisible this season. I'm thinking, I think that's the whole point of the of who the mole typically is, blend in as much as they can. That's, if you're saying that out, out loud about one of the other two contestants, your your Moldar should just be like, beep, 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 Especially comparing Thomas and Jan, as we're probably going to do at the end of this season, given that they're the two additional moles that we've added uh, for, for Vidim Historians this year. It's really interesting to see the contrast between their two styles, but both very much playing the contestant, but Jan being way more like overtly competitive than Thomas was. Both of them played brilliant mole games for different reasons, I would say. Yeah, they both had very, they both, like, Jan was, well, we'll find out in the reading that Thomas gets very cocky too. (laughs) Very, very cocky towards the end of the game to the point that it leads to Sana pretty much discovering him. 
Yeah. But yeah, Jan was a lot more aggressive. He just wanted to see what he could get away with. While with Thomas, he's like, ah, the group has trusted me, so I guess I'll just drop the ball here, I'll drop the ball there. But with Jan, it's like he went out of his way to sabotage. Yeah, I'd say Jan was way more overtly competitive as a mole. Yeah, Jan create. I I would say Jan created the situations while Thomas just, well, if you give me the situation, you give me an inch, I'm gonna just drag it out to an extra mile. Yeah, Thomas took advantage of situations. Jan made them, but I like both of them as moles. They're both they're both very much near the top of my mole lists, which is. Let's be honest. Why I picked this season as uh, as my free choice for us to do is because Thomas is a cracking mole, and I thought it would potentially be more of a challenge than it was for you to try and identify him. It's typical sword is ruining my fun. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> That's fine. But I think even when you do suspect Thomas throughout the season or are watching Thomas throughout the season, he's really good at doing it. And I'll be honest. If we do end up doing more Vidim Historians next year, which is fairly likely, I'll be honest, I am probably going to pick seasons with good moles at least, if I get a free choice on which ones they are, which, let's be honest, I will. I'm going to pick seasons that probably have really good moles, just because I think a season is better when you have a good mole. Obviously there is the odd exception, Belgium, South Africa, but as a general rule, a good mole makes a good season, but also it has to be accompanied by good challenges in a good location, as a general rule. Yeah, you don't want a really good mole in a terrible season where they do nothing. I mean, in ter- where production does nothing. No, I know I'm directly contradicting what I said at the end of last year in, in that you don't necessarily need a good mole, but I think in a season like Oregon and a season like Georgia, if we are going to actively compare them, I think it helps that both have very good moles, because it does elevate both seasons. Yeah. So Art says, for the first time in the history of Vista Mole, they will get the chance to double the pot, but only one of them will get that opportunity. Attached to the trees are names of assignments and values. They have to link the trees so that they have exactly 12,160 euros roped. When they do that, they will be able to access a Tangram puzzle, the solver of which will get the doubler if they win the season. Joachim says in the best case, he and Thomas have the same chance to win the €24,320. And this challenge is the exact opposite of the one that Joachim won the exemption for, because he actually has to do things, and he actually has to think about things, neither of which Joachim is good at. Joachim, unsurprisingly, does not win this challenge. It's a very interesting concept for a challenge for production. They would never, ever do this now to say, hey, you can double, double... Double your money. Yeah, this was a very one-and-done challenge, I would say. <laughs> They're never going to do anything like this again. Because it's bigger than the pot they had, like, going into this challenge. The pot is already bigger than that, what they had in Czechia for this year. So just imagine Czechia if they said, Okay, you guys, uh, 9,000 euros, we're going to give you the chance to nearly triple your money. I think it would be interesting if they brought a doubler back, but maybe as a hidden advantage. So say something like the laser game from this season. If you in that claw machine hide a token that will double the pot if you are the winner at the end, that's an interesting twist, especially if nobody knows anything about it. Yeah, if it's like hidden, like just it puts extra pressure on that one contestant to keep it quiet to for him or herself to say, oh man, I'm the only one who 
has a shot at doubling my money. This is nerve-wracking. Not necessarily ripping off the double your money twist from, from Amazing Race, but if you do it slightly earlier in the season, then you make people have to defend it through executions and have that playing on someone's mind. Yeah, it would be an interesting way. What's funny is uh, we see this is uh, because someone actually did double their money in this finale. In Georgia, we get a very similar dilemma where at the final three quiz, uh, Art says, okay, before you take your final quiz, you can look for extra money, but you only get it if you win, if you win the game. Yeah. So they did have a similar twist to that, but with a lot less money at stake. I think in Oregon, maybe they didn't anticipate Sana being able to, you know, breeze through the forest and then solve these two puzzles. And I'm guessing Thomas was probably on a fixed time limit for how long it's supposed to take him. I don't know whether they would have given Thomas the, the solution. I think from a fairness point of view, this is probably one challenge where the mold didn't have the solution. You mean they made the mold play as a contestant? Yeah, because especially if you have a mold like Thomas where he's been completely undetected for most of the season, if you make him play this final challenge as a contestant, you then can potentially sow a little bit of mistrust in Sana's mind if she's the only one on Thomas. You can then sow a little bit of doubt in her mind that Thomas is the mole and that maybe Jochen was just messing about as mole one final time. I think there is absolutely nothing for them to lose by not telling Thomas the solution to this puzzle, and there is everything to lose by giving him the solution to the Tangram and saying, absolutely breeze through it and stop us being charged another 12,000 euros. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can't let them have more money. Yeah, if Thomas had breezed through this puzzle, I think I would feel a lot differently about this twist, because it just stinks of production rigging it. That's true. And what makes you wonder if the contestants were, well, I guess not Jakob, because he didn't change his mind. But you think if you were the players, you'd be thinking, hmm, would they really let them all win this challenge and screw us over like this? Because you got to go back to the Mole USA where in season two, the final challenge was worth $100,000. And the person who gets the dilemma is the Mole who who gets to the end of the challenge first and is told, hey, you can look inside this dossier for information about the Mole or you can put $100,000 into the pot. It could have just been one last major sabotage for Bill and he just, just decides, eh, now I'll put the 100000 into the pot. I think this twist lands completely differently if you let the mole rig it, basically. And I think people are a lot happier with this double twist because Santa won it rather than Thomas breezing through it and stealing another 12,160 euros out of the pot. I don't think that this twist would be nearly as palatable if Thomas had just breezed through it as mole. Yeah. So Thomas goes straight for the 160, so he doesn't have to worry about the odd amount. Joachim stays calm and rolls the rope first which tangles it up because it's on a spool. The whole point is it unravels itself. I was getting very frustrated by Joachim at this point, I'll be honest. He actually stole Thomas's rope. Yeah, he's an idiot. Thomas eventually runs out of rope and has to go back and grab his second one. Sana says you went on a circular tree with the same amount twice, so you had to keep track of both your total and the assignments that you've done. She struggles to count how much she has left, and she settles on 870 euros. Her and Thomas then argue. He steals her rope and throws it at her which was almost our banner until I watched the reunion. 
One of Stannis' ropes came loose in the beginning, but that helps her find the 450 euros from the paper factory. She only needed 100 euros and finds the correct tree. Art confirms she's correct, and she then has to do the Tangram puzzle in the shape of a square. Thomas returns to Art, but he's not correct, and Art refuses to tell him whether he's too high or too low. Then Joachim takes Thomas's rope. Thomas returns to Art and is correct as well, and Joachim also returns, but is incorrect because it's Joachim. Then Sanna solves the puzzle, but Art gives her one final piece to earn the doubler. Thomas also solves it, much to his surprise, as he isn't a puzzler. Sanna says she's searching for the Diedrich inside herself. If she'd been a boy, she would have been called Diedrich, a fact that she told him. She solves it first, giving them a total of absolutely nothing so far for this challenge. 150 euros of 56,250 for the episode, and 12,160 of, by my count, 109,500 for the season so far. And Joachim is so in the zone, he doesn't even realise that the challenge is over. Yeah, did they, uh, I wonder how long he was stuck in the forest for. I think he was ge- not just genuinely lost with figuring out the amounts, but I think he was genuinely lost in the Oregon forest. Oh, he's still living there now. He's not left Oregon. He just zoomed in for the finale, that's what it was. Yeah, it was a hologram. And they do the usual finale meal bullshit. Thomas's highlight was the helicopter. Joachim's was the pay factory when they looked over the dam and realised he was on the show, which he'd never seen before. Did you know that a Van Gelder family tradition is to ask what the best moment was? I didn't, but I think we've learned something new in this episode. Can you imagine just be hanging around with Joachim when he's like, oh man... We're out on a picnic, guys. What was your best what was your best moment about today, guys? What was your best moment in life? Uh when you missed out on giving us twenty four thousand euros for the family? When you had double bonds? I'm sure Joachim is lovely, and I'm sure he's really nice to be around, but he is absolutely the most frustrating person this season. Wonder if it's like that at dinner too. He sits down. It's like, oh, no, nobody's allowed to eat until each person tells me what their best moment was today. Yeah, I'm sure he's lovely to be around, but I think he would infuriate me. I think at the reunion, people seemed infuriated with how he made Thomas's job a lot easier. I don't think there's been one contestant that's covered for a mole so much. Usually, you get the odd task here or there where. The mole exploits the trust of another player. But Joachim, I want, I, we're going to see points where Thomas is going to question if he is actually the mole or not. Or as Diedrich would say, that there is a genuine theory amongst the contestants that there were two moles playing at the same time. Yeah, I think he's just absolutely infuriating as a person. As a person or a contestant? Both. Because <laughs> it's not even like he's competitive. He says in the premiere that he's the least competitive person he knows and he doesn't know why he's on this show. And it's, it's like, at the risk of sounding like a shittier, shittier Survivor podcast, not mentioning any names, he's taking a spot from someone who could genuinely actually want to be there. And he's just, he has no idea about the show. And obviously that's not necessarily a bad thing. We do champion a lot complete novices to games and things. I mean, Joachim does some things right here. I mean, he's the first person who's just completely dove into aligning with other players, and it's probably what kept him alive for for as long as he did. Definitely. But the problem is, he's so oblivious, he's barely even heard of the show. He just doesn't know the basic elements of it. It's not like a Survivor situation where even the recruits will be given a terrible season to watch in Sequester, so they have some sort of knowledge of the game. Joachim is thrown into this 
ostensibly because he's more famous than his own son, who really wants to be there. And it's just baffling. <laughs> I won't be surprised if Yakum's son ends up on Vidim eventually. I think he'd be really fun. I obviously know absolutely nothing about Levi, but he seemed way more fun than his father in terms of the mole. <laughs> he had some pretty good lines at the reunion, where he just, he just, he just eggs on Art to cast him. He's like, yeah, I'd probably win. He's absolutely taking his shot, and I don't blame him for it in the slightest. I mean, given how Oregon goes, Levi probably wins the season if he was in the cast. Yeah. It would have been really interesting to find out who Levi suspected before it was revealed. Yeah, they maybe to save Yakum from embarrassment, they don't? Yeah, whether he was on Thomas. Because if he was on Thomas, yeah, maybe it would have been a bit more competitive. You know who wasn't on Thomas? Thomas's friend, Nina? <laughs> We'll get to her soon. She's our banner. So it's now time for the final test. 40 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows the most will go home with 12,160 euros and will unmask the mole. If that is Sana, she doubles the pot to 24,320. I want to say they really jump into the final quiz abruptly because they have this, because the recap isn't that long. They only recap like three or four tasks, I think, including Sana screaming in the amusement park. Yeah, all the time that they took executing Diedrich at the start of this episode comes from the finale meal bullshit section, as I like to call it. Because it just abruptly ends, we go straight into the final test, and then straight into the quote-unquote suspicions. And what's funny is that I think Joachim is the only contestant ever who references the TV show Bonanza. Because he says, yeah, when we were riding on horseback, it was like being on, it was like I was in the TV show Bonanza, and I'm thinking, how old are you? <laughs> I'm thinking, do you, I don't know if too many people under the age of 60 ever, ever reference Bonanza. The only reason I know about Bonanza is because the people I know who talk about it are now over 70. I'm pretty sure Joachim is the oldest person in this cast. Well, his son, his son is a teenager, right? Or Levi looks like he's 16 or 17. I think he's probably at university. Oh, okay. Because Joachim said that he lives in Utrecht his son. So I assume he's in Utrecht for university. And also that would then make him old enough to be cast for the mole. Oh, okay. So maybe, yeah. Probably Joachim, yeah. Joachim's probably at least 50. I think he was late 40s at the start of this season. But I don't know for certain. I think the season aged him by 10 years. Couldn't find his way out of the forest. So Thomas claims that he has changed moles. He's going fully on Joachim. He paid 3,500 euros on the last Joker in the auction. It's not worth that much, and he cheated the group out of money. He gave Thomas a missing note in the June assignment to cost them the thousand euros. Joachim is on Sana, she's a master manipulator. She led them astray on the driving route, a complete mole action. She also messed up the alphabet, despite being a writer. Sana's going for Thomas's mole, with the last two assignment he was in the key position and didn't succeed. Sometimes he just didn't make money. He didn't hear Emanuela whistle on the horse shooting challenge because he had earplugs, but she heard everything when she had the earplugs in. They also met different moles, Thomas is on Joachim, Joachim's on Sana, Sana's on Thomas. One of them's correct, one of them's very much not, one of them is the mole. Now I have to say this, Sparks Lake is one of the coolest reveal locations they have ever used. It is fucking gorgeous. What I like is that all three of them are wearing regular clothes suitable for being on Sparks Lake, and then Art is in a suit straight out of Austin Powers. I did think when they flash back to it in the reunion that everyone there is dressed like they have just come off a cowboy ranch, apart from Art, who is dressed like, you know, 
he's there to reveal who the mole is. <laughs> and do you know what tipped me off to Thomas being in the mole? Genuinely, at the time, I remember this. No. And it's something they don't even mention in the episode. When they're being canoed in, which is amazing, by the way, Thomas's canoer is wearing a black hat. And a black hat is the sign of someone evil. That's genuinely what tipped me off for Thomas in the suspect list. And the reason I went for Thomas is number one. That's such a subtle reason. Mm, they don't even mention it. I don't know whether it was a deliberate clue or not, but Black Hat is sort of a, a shady hacker, I think. And that was something that kind of tipped me off to it being Thomas. Interesting. I didn't even notice that. I just used my intuition. Yeah, because the other two canoers were wearing white hats. Thomas's was the only one that was black. It'd be funny if it was uh, just by pure coincidence. Okay, everybody pick a hat, the canoers. We have two white hats and a black hat. Aw, I have the black hat. All right, I'll take this guy. I have just Googled it. I was right. A black hat hacker is someone who violates computer security for little reasons beyond maliciousness or for personal gain. And I don't even know whether it was deliberate or not. But Thomas's canoer was wearing a black hat, and I was like, hmm, that is a sign of of someone who's a bit malicious. Maybe it's Thomas. And that was the only reason at the time that I put him as number one, other than it making sense. So, where were we? Each of them gets an individual speech by Art. He describes Joachim as someone who wants to be the lead in an action movie, but he's more suited to comedy when speaking to Thomas. He points out that Thomas drew the M in the mowing assignment. Was he just placing his signature right in front of their faces? He says Joachim was led by female allies all season, but he didn't trust his last one in the end and suspected Susanna. When Diedrich went home, everyone's suspects changed. The three of them are in the finale, each suspecting a different person, each playing a different role. And it's time for the answer finally... V is the mole. The answer, let's be honest, we said it a lot this episode, is Thomas, but we're going to find out right after this. So our suspicions after episode 9, mine were in order, Thomas, Joachim, then Senna. The Bothers Bar ones were Joachim and Thomas equal, and Senna. Do you want to go through yours quickly, now that they've changed from last week? Thomas and Senna, then Joachim? Yeah, Thomas, Senna, Joachim. It don't matter, we were both on Thomas. And now we skip to the reunion and my favourite thing, watching any reunion back, is watching all of the awkwardness of live television. And it starts right away with Chris Zegers standing there like a child waiting to be spoken to by Art. He looks so awkward. It's really funny, but he just looks so awkward to be standing there waiting to be looked at by an adult, basically. Even though I think Chris has at least ten years on Art. Only speak when spoken to, Zegers. And Sigrid is missing from the reunion, as we did mention in her boot episode. Not that we'd know that, because they're quite subtle about it. They don't keep repeatedly mentioning that she's missing. Yeah, why did... Th- that's such an odd thing to just keep repeating, because I think th- I think they say it three times during the reunion. They say it at the very beginning, I know for sure, when they initially have the contestants at the table where Art says, by the way, guys, before we even start, Sigrid couldn't be here, and someone who felt like almost wasn't here was Vincent. Like, they made a, Bart made a joke of Sigrid's absence as a way to make fun of the first eliminated contestant. I did say this in Sigrid's boot episode. I think she just wasn't over the fact that she lost. I think she genuinely had a bit of PTSD from this show and was like, yeah, I'm not opening those wounds, sorry. Because she is one of the very, very few people to not attend a reunion of the season that they're on. She is the last person to have to have not attended the reunion of the season they were on, and I think she's only second or third person who didn't attend, and one of those died of cancer. What? Do you not know this? 
one of the really early Venom winners died of cancer between filming the season and it airing. Like what, one of the Angela seasons? Was it an Angela one? It was it was an Angela or a Carol one, I can't remember which. I think it was I think it was the first Carol one actually. But she won the season in the end and they ended up donating her winnings to charity. How do you do a reunion there without the when the winner died? I don't know. I've not actually seen that season. Yeah, that'd be an interesting. I know. I don't because because that would be that's all the ones we have access to are from Mexico onwards, right? Yeah, it it was the Carol. It was Carol's first one. So that's like two thousand four, two thousand five. So this was two thousand six. Two thousand six. Okay. The season finished airing on the twelfth of May, two thousand six, and Frederick, the winner of that season, died on the third of April. Wow, that wouldn't have even been that long before the reunion then. No, it was like five, six weeks before the reunion. That's that's a tough one. I can't imagine that happening. Like, of course, the example in North America is with the the TV show Murder in Small Town X, where the winner died in in nine eleven, but they didn't have a reunion show for it. That's because everyone died. They got murdered by. Uh... Yeah, by the, by, I can't remember oh, what the oh, what's this guy's the guy's name? This, it was the Scarlet something was the order, the order of the Scarlet Lupine was it? Oh man, it's been such a long time since I've seen all of Murder in Small Town X. Well, I, I don't think I've had access to all the episodes since it originally aired twenty twenty years ago. I'm saying this now. I'm not watching that that show for this uh, for this podcast. I I can't remember whether we've discussed what? this, but I. Uh, I watched the first episode of the British one, and bearing in mind I was like eight at the time, I had nightmares for a week after watching the murder game. Oh, that was the same for me because I was I was ten when the American season aired, and the, those bits freaked me out. I could not sleep. But tw- twenty years later, I don't think you would have the same problem, Michael. I think it would seem very, very tame. There are only two shows that I've ever had nightmares about, and I cannot believe I'm actually talking about this on the podcast. They're both sort of about the same era. It was about when I was seven or eight. First one was um, The Murder Game, which is the British adaptation of Murder in Small Town X. was terrifying as a child. The second one, weirdly, was fought by Ard when people got captured. <laughs> that one's sort of less forgivable. But yeah, the murder game gave me nightmares for a good week, and I have not seen anything after episode one as a result of it. It's really episode two, because it's the first death one, because they did the training episode as episode one. But yeah, I haven't seen anything after the first death in the murder game as a result of that. And I I mean, I, I wouldn't have nightmares at 28, hopefully, about murder in small town X, but I still wouldn't necessarily be comfortable about watching that show. <laughs> I wonder if anyone has it. If anyone would have murder in small town x i know it is definitely floating around because there is a podcast that covered it not too long ago oh they covered, really they covered the american one and the british one and literally this week i think they're starting doing whodunit oh wow okay which is a show we have a personal connection with really yeah do you not know this oh um, right right you told me about i think so scott flannery was meant to be on that show yes and um had to had to bail because of work and then they offered for him to be the first victim and he just had to be there for the first day and he's like no nah, i'm not interested sorry <laughs> that was a hell of a tangent so my other favorite thing when we cover reunions is of course watching who the vidim alumni hiding behind the contestants are did you spot any familiar faces 
Yeah, I spotted quite a At this point, now that I've seen a few more Vidim seasons, of course, I couldn't help but point out Ellie Luce like 10 times. Rick was seated behind Thomas. Yeah, bearing in mind with the Ellie Luce thing, this was a year after she was on the show. Yeah. Interdisciplinary, 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 interdisciplinary. I did say this when Thomas gave her a shout out in the Lunar Landscape Challenge. I can't remember where it was, but the Lunar Landscape Challenge. This was a year after Ellie was on the show. Etta Discipline is very much at the forefront of people's minds. It's very much in the like the the Vidim lexicon. Yeah. And I will also say we're probably not gonna do that season. <laughs> it is not on my list, Dominican Republic, because I do not like that season. That's a shame because I remember that's when I first tried to get into Vidim was with Dominican Republic season. I think I saw the first twenty minutes or so. But then I was told like there are, there are just too many spoilers <laughs> if you watch it on your own. So I'm like, eh, I guess we'll, guess we'll do a different order. There is a really bad challenge. Like, genuinely, probably the worst Vidim challenge they've ever done in that season. It's a shame because it sounds like such an awesome location. It's a really fun location. It's a interesting cast. There's a couple of people I really like in that cast, including Ellie. It's just not a season that we really want to go for, I think. It's not our sort of season. There's a challenge in that that I will 100% rant at if we ever actually end up doing it. And Bindles would have to be on that episode because he will rant about that one as well. He hates that challenge almost as much as I do. So yeah, on the subject of Vidim alumni, Rick's obviously there, weirdly being a thing two years after he was actually on the show. Patrick's there from the Mexico Parish and also from Renaissance. Elilus is over Emanuela's shoulder and then later actually shouted out in the episode. And then she comes over at the end to like bow before Thomas in the closing credits. <laughs> yeah, really interestingly, someone else who's there and is conveniently far away from Patrick is Patrick's ex-boyfriend, who was also on Vidim. Interesting. Also interesting is the fact that one of Rick's exes was also in the building. Because I found out, thanks to uh, Brandon Martin Moore, that a certain Thomas Camart is Rick's ex. And not just an ex, they were together about three years. Oh. And I did not know this until about a week and a half ago when we were discussing it on the Brothers Bar Discord. But yeah, apparently um, apparently Rick and Thomas were a thing for a while. Vidim is a very, like, a very close-knit community. Well, such as it's a much smaller population, right? It is. It's, it's just weird how there is so much crossover. It's not just such a... It's not, it's not just small population in terms of Holland, but the fact that they choose from a very small pool of people, yeah. They're all in the same circles. Yeah, Patrick and Freak, and um, and Rick and Thomas are all exes. And then there was another couple who I believe are still together, who actually met on Vidim, who were visible in the audience, from Dominican Republic. Interesting. I believe they have two children together now. And then let's go back to the actual reunion, I guess. Because Art says, yeah, Sigrid's not here. That makes a joke with Vincent. And then when the finalists show up, he says, by the way, Sigrid's not here in case you guys didn't know. So it's very interesting that he repeatedly mentioned it to the contestants as if they were not aware of Sigrid's absence at all. It It just seemed like Art was telling the contestants rather than the audience about Sigrid not being there. Which makes it sound like she wanted to go. She was thinking about it at the last minute, last second. She's like, eh, maybe not. 
I think she probably bailed at the last second and was like, no, this is bringing back too many bad memories, so. Yeah, because we've had that reaction booking interviews too, where we've had at least one contestant who was all in for the interview, and then on the either the night before or the day of, they messaged me saying, oh, by the way, uh, I was starting to recount the memories. It's getting too painful. I don't want to do this interview. So it just lines up with my assumption about Sigrid's absence. Yeah, I don't think they wanted to make an example of her, but I think they wanted to maybe reassure people that she was all right, but also not outwardly say, oh yeah, by the way, it just brought back too many bad memories for her. Sorry, she's not here. Sorry, Yakum, she just really hates that you beat her at this game. I mean, in the absence of actual reason, we can just blame Yeroen, because that's what we do on this show. Yeah, there's just an empty chair next to your own. That was supposed to be her seat. Clearly she wanted nothing to do with it. We said the seats were, are all predetermined and cannot be changed. And Secret said, that's a deal breaker. I cannot be. Next to the guy who's going to be asked about Elvis Presley for about 10 minutes of the reunion show. Because that's the only interesting thing he has to talk about. So Art does rub it in Ivana's face even more by saying that the person who beat her on time in her execution is one of the finalists. No prizes for guessing who. Even if Art hadn't confirmed it. I mean, you can guess from these three. I like how Sana was genuinely worried it was her. She said, oh, I'll feel so bad if I was the one who beat Ivana by one second because she was way- she was not on Thomas's trail at that point. No, it was it was Joachim. It was Joachim who, in four separate tests, survived because of a different reason. And then apparently Ruse's kids think she's a liar. Um, and then... Art talks to Euron about his Elvis impersonation, and that was it. Boring. Yeah, and then Art jokes about Emmanuel in the amusement park and how intense she was, and then she does that. I mean, I love Emanuela. It's such a shame she couldn't come back for Renaissance, but she's such a fun character. And I know I've said so much about her during the season, but she is by far the star of this reunion and the star of this season. I'm very curious what her mom's life is like in Suriname. She was saying her mom is still in Suriname while they're taping the reunion. I'm thinking, is her mom like visiting Suriname or is she living there? If it's a situation where Manuel sends her money from what she makes in TV and stuff, like can her mom have a really good like? Can you live really fancy in Suriname? Just because it's a, it's pretty much one of the top. 10 or 15 countries in the world that I think gets the least amount of coverage worldwide. I winced a little bit when she was talking about how proud her mum was and definitely watching from back home, and I'm like, yeah, in about 18 months to two years, she might not be as proud, Emanuela, as much as I love you. She might not be that proud. Yeah, that's going to be different, being staring on and be like, oh, have you heard from Emanuela lately? Uh, yeah, she she didn't send, she didn't call or send me an email this time. It was uh, she sent me a letter. I mean, I've got specified visiting times for her. Yeah, that's gonna change in your half. Where Emmanuel is here, like, yeah, my mom is so proud. She thinks I'm such a role model. I'm a hero in Suriname. Everyone looks up to me. She's sending money back to her mum in Suriname, and uh, her mum's like, God, she's making a lot of money for these drama shows. I don't know how she's doing it. She never sends me checks. It's always, she always sends me cash. It's never like a direct deposit into my bank account for some reason. It's always unmarked US dollars for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's not even euros. 
I don't know where she gets all these US dollars from. Yeah, and they always come in like really sealed boxes. I am definitely going to get hate from Emanuela for this. <laughs> well, I think the lesson here is yeah, don't, don't do drugs, kids. De- don't deal. No, not so much don't do drugs, don't deal drugs. Yeah, the lesson here is don't get caught dealing drugs. Yeah, you can deal drugs, just don't get caught. If you only take one lesson from the last 59 episodes of podcast this year, just don't get caught dealing drugs, kids. The more you know. I'm glad there's actually a moral in one of our episodes this year. I swear we're recording these so far in advance, I'm going to get such hate tweets. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, like this, it's, it's June right now, and I'm going to get a random tweet on Twitter and December saying, I can't believe you said that about Emmanuel. I'm like, well, I'm already, we're already on like Vidim, we're on, we're on, uh, we're on Hong Kong and Philippines right now. I don't know who the hell you're talking about. And then now it's time for the most awkward part of any reality TV reunions uh, event, which is going into the audience and talking to everything. And Chris Sagers is forced to pick people who each suspect a different person. There is one kid who is very, very, very confident about Thomas being the mole. And then the one fan, this is my favorite theory. This is my favorite reason for why a fan thinks somebody is the mole. So there's this one girl who thinks Sana is the mole because there was a Sweeney Todd poster scene during the season. And Sana apparently performed in a musical or Broadway version of Sweeney Todd. And the director is somebody named Alice. No, it was the Sweeney Todd posters were visible when they're in Portland, which they were. I was trying to look at when it was actually in Portland to, to date the season before we got a proper date on it. Sweeney Todd, the film, was directed by Tim Burton, who also directed Alice, and there was a lot of Alice in Wonderland music. Yes, that's what it was. That was the connection. Why did I not write the Tim Burton part down? Anyways... See, so yeah, apparently Sonic performed in Sweeney Todd, Tim Burton directed Sweeney Todd, directed Alice in Wonderland, or Alice, and there was a lot of Alice in Wonderland music playing during the season. So it's not based off of any mole action, it's based off of a clue that has, that has way too many nodes. I don't think there's ever been a hidden clue with that many nodes. That is, that is three links to figure out who the mole is. I don't think they usually do more than two. It is veering towards six degrees of separation in clue form. Yeah. It's a tedious link. That's what it is. It's it's one of those that I would suggest on the podcast get ridiculed for at the time and get ridiculed again when it's revealed that it was absolute bullshit and I was on the wrong mole. It made my head fizz a little bit just watching her say it on the episode, even regardless of me knowing that she was wrong. It made my head fizz like, that is a leap. And annoyingly, that's the sort of leap I do make on these podcasts a bit. Yeah. It's the sort of thing I could see myself saying and going, oh, I'm so wrong at the end of this. My favourite bit about the going into the crowd and meeting normal people thing, though, is Thomas's guy, who is very intense. Yeah, like, he's very matter-of-factly, like, he he, he was on the verge of saying, if you don't think it's Thomas, you're a dumbass. I, I, I was waiting for him to say that next. The fun of this is, of course, I've sort of been on the other side of this because I went to the Columbia finale, and they do obviously pick people out going, who suspects Thomas, who suspects Anna, who suspects Joachim? Make sure you're near the front of the barrier. But it's just so awkward being there, people going, oh, it's definitely Thomas, and it's like, 
oh, this is really awkward and they cannot vet you to make sure you're actually going to be good television. So this could be really awkward, especially if you climb up on live TV. It's a risk doing this because you don't know what sort of people you're going to get. He did, He definitely didn't climb up on TV, that's for sure. No, but like the kid who Chris ends up coming to after the reveal, definitely did. <laughs> for example. So the suspicions on the app are 46% Thomas, 20% Sana, and 34% Joachim. And the beauty of live TV is that we see a good 10-15 seconds of Sana taking her coat off as she goes into Vondel's AS. And then we get the reveal and a return to what we ended last episode with, the final three coming in on canoes to the very pretty location at Sparks Lake. There is no, you're not the winner, you're not the loser, you're not the mole, because obviously that would reveal who it is. We get a flashback of the losers so far and why the remaining three could all be the mole. We also reminded that Yeroen specifically suspected none of these three people. <laughs> Just one final dunk on Yeroen, and I don't even need to do it this time, but Yeroen was the furthest person away from who it could be, and that includes someone like Vincent who went home on day two. <laughs> Art asks who it is. It is Thomas, meaning that Sana wins the €12,160 and doubles it to 24320 But the highlight of the reveal is, as Logan already alluded to, Thomas's friend Nina, who is so unhappy with him. Not just like, oh, I can't believe it was you, I've known you my whole life. It's, what? We are never friends again. We are definitely going to have to talk after this. Yeah, she's she's in tears over Thomas being the mole. They keep going back to her just because production and art thinks it's so funny that she's just tr- trying to come to terms with this. She did not think Thomas was the mole for a second. You can only imagine when Thomas said, oh yeah, I'm thinking of bringing Nina. And they met Nina and asked her whether she thought Thomas could be the mole. And she's like, no, never. If it's him, I will disown him. And you can just imagine the showrunner going, make sure we've got a camera on Nina, make sure she is directly in a camera line for the reveal, because this is going to be fun. (laughs) And Diedrich is also massively in shock, bless him. Yeah, like this is by far the biggest reaction to a reveal. Because the whole room just goes, what? And then you have Diedrich's very visible reaction, Nina, who is on the verge of a stroke. I mean, we love to put this in historical context, and obviously I've seen every season, pretty much, that surrounds this one. Up until this point, we really didn't have a mole who was this unsuspected by both the public and by everyone actually in the room. So it's a genuine shock when Thomas says, Igbendamole, as he says, he was so nervous. But when he says Igbendamole, it is like a jolt of electricity goes through everyone in Vondel CS and everyone outside Vondel CS because so few people were suspecting him with the exception of the people on the app contrast that with Yan a year later it was pretty much 30-30-30 on the app and so few people in Vondel CS suspected him but nobody's jaws dropped in the same way none of the cast members or their friends had a heart attack when it was revealed. Diedrich and Nina both looked like they needed medical attention. It would have been very interesting to see this reveal done live live in Vondel CS like they did with Georgia onwards and have them standing on the stage actually outside surrounded by the crowd because this is the last one where they do it in this style of having them all sat together at the table and then revealing the recorded one. Obviously we get the China one because it's a necessity 
but we don't have them sat in the table in Vondel CS and then have everyone reveal and the room erupts in the same way after Thomas. And I don't think they could have topped it had they done it again. I think this is everything that production would have wanted from the mole reveal was just the room going, what? <gasps> and like Nina losing her shit and Diedrich losing his shit and Ellie Luce getting up to worship Thomas. And then the awkward kid in the audience gets champagne. Yeah, there is so much in that reveal. And then five minutes later, the really intense guy who's like, yeah, I knew it was Thomas, obviously, gets to make some new friends with champagne. But the best bit about that is the guy behind him snatching one of the glasses before Chris could even walk away. <laughs> yeah, I like, I, I, I like how the guy could have recreated the Kermit the Frog. I mean, he, he could have said, I suspected Thomas all along and then sipped this champagne. But that's none of my business. He is the most cocky person we've ever seen put in that position. By far. He was because he was, well, and then he was right. He got he, he backed it up. I will say, even though I have been there, I don't like them cutting to the crowd. It just doesn't really add much. Obviously, it's it's nice to actually acknowledge that 5,000 people or whatever are crowding in Vonda Park, but it is a bit awkward sometimes having Chris or Ron or whoever having to go into the audience and talk to normal people who haven't been camera trained. And I, I do like, though, that there was a prize and they just gave out champagne to a guy who looks like he is not he's not of, of age to drink. He looks like he's 16 or 18. I think when when I was at Columbia, they did check whether people were over 18. So he's probably 18 or 19. Yeah, Ron did hand out champagne in Columbia, definitely. I don't know why they didn't do it in Georgia, to my memory. And I guess quickly go through the sabotages for Thomas. I think we've covered a lot of them already. Well, yeah. We first, though, have Art confirming that of the 55 tests at this season, only two were placed with Thomas as a mole, both times of which it was Sanna. She was undoubtedly the only person on the mole and therefore the correct winner of the season. Despite Levi's best efforts, Joachim genuinely stumbled his way to the finale, more so than anyone in Vidim history, saving himself with a yoker in Yeroen's execution, an exemption at Final Four, being saved by Emanuela with an exemption in the non-elimination, and being faster than Ivana in Episode 2. He put four questions in total on Thomas. Thomas says he was so frustrated that Sana won the final challenge to double the pot, knowing she was the only one that was actually onto him. Yeah, so Joachim definitely supersedes Bart for guy who blindly stumbles into the finale and really lucked out. Bart at least was on Alina by the end of it. By the yeah, Joachim was not. <laughs> Bart did put more than four questions on Alina. Joachim is by far the most oblivious person ever to make it to Final Three. There's not a question in my mind that he is oblivious as a person. He's genuinely a very clueless person. There's no other eulogy I can give for, for Joachim here other than he's genuinely very clueless. Uh, so he set out to be the perfect candidate in episode one, exactly what tipped you off to him. He made a point of appearing to be nervous whenever he was around art, and Vincent said he was unreadable. He stopped Ivana and Emanuela finding any paper factory assignments for the first half hour. He also led people to Roos as the liar. Yeah, he, cre- he created the majority. He let that situation come to him. Yeah. We also find out that Dietrich's beaver story came from seeing beavers on the license plates in Oregon everywhere, and he proved himself a good liar. Which is very interesting, because Dietrich has only appeared on one other show other than Mass Singer, as we discussed with Bindles. 
and that was one where he basically played the role as Mold. It was a a similar sort of show with like twenty odd celebrities coming together doing challenges, but it was like a game of mafia with three saboteurs, and he was one of them. Joachim was responsible for the half thousand euro going missing. He forgot to hand it over to Thomas when they did the changeover. He made a deal with Thomas to take him far if he didn't say anything. <laughs> There's so much of Joachim's idiocy that I'd forgotten about until it's revealed here. I like how they said how how Joachim, Joachim buried the bill, right? He was the one who buried it. Yeah, he's like, well, I can't keep it. Manuel will search me, so I'm going to bury this bill, and then I'm going to pull Thomas aside and say, if you keep quiet about burying that note, about me burying that note, I will take you far. <laughs> In the process of trying to make himself less suspicious, he instead made a stupid deal with the mole and made himself more suspicious. <laughs> yeah, and then Thomas says, wait a second, aren't aren't I the mole? I like how Thomas had a genuinely question whether or not Joachim was the mole after that. He deliberately sped up in the car game and split the cars up through junctions to waste time. He slowed down on the rodeo race just enough to get caught, and he increased the bidding at the auction to ridiculous levels to basically give himself no credit whatsoever as necessary. He misled Joachim by making sure he had the yoke card on the dysentery day. He told the 750 euro woman not to help anyone, putting Joachim off using her. And he berated Dijek afterwards for being socially awkward to take heat off himself. Yeah, why are you why are you so rude to all the locals here, Dijek? Come on. Why you gotta be so rude? Don't you know I'm human too? Yeah. Good old uh, good old Nasri. Uh and then of course we got the funny we get the funny bit with Yakum where Thomas talks to women like, Oh, okay. Uh you have seven fifty, I'm not gonna call it in. Then Yakum says, Does anyone talk to you? And the woman says, Uh, eh, one person. Oh, okay, I'm not gonna call it in then. If it was any other contestant, they would say, oh, you're the one person talk to you. What did the person look like? Okay, and call it in, and then Joachim would know who the mole is. Because even, even Art said this was a really risky thing for Thomas to do. Emanuela 100% would have asked the woman who it was. I have no yeah. doubt in my mind. Sana would too. Then we get to the section about Ata Discipline. Obviously, Ellie gets almost a speaking role. They do put the microphone in front of her and then not use her. Thomas just acted clueless in that challenge. Nobody watched him, so he could be the kink in the cable and literally lie down. He took a nap during this challenge. I know it was already tough to begin with, but it's like, man, no wonder Dietrich couldn't get anything rolling. I think I said this when we actually did cover this challenge, but I don't necessarily like them all being completely unattended like this, but Thomas is so cocky when he does it that it kind of works. What's funny here is that, remember we said, this looks like an impossible challenge even if there wasn't a mole. It'd be really, really difficult with the time limit to have everything figured out because I think they had, what, 7 or 14 minutes to do the whole thing? 15 minutes for 25 answers it was. Yeah, and then the first thing we Thomas says about this challenge is, you don't need a mole to fail this challenge. I'm thinking, thank you, Thomas, for supporting our point that we had for when we talked about this challenge. You do not need a mole to fail this. Thank you for backing us up four years later. Yeah. So Sanus first started suspecting Thomas at the shooting challenge. She acted clueless and deaf with the earplugs, and Sana called bullshit on that because she could hear everything. It makes you wonder, would Thomas have gone undetected if he didn't use the earplugs as an excuse? Because he was he was doing a lot more risky ta- tactics you know, towards the end of the season. I think Sana would have been less confident, but I think she still would have gone for him in the end. Because... Yeah. He was always kind of her second, third suspect in the early part of the season. She definitely put him as number two at one point. 
so I think she probably would have leant towards him at least. She wouldn't have been confident, but she would have leant towards him. Yeah. But yeah, the earplugs, that was definitely Thomas's weakest lie for the whole season. It's like, yeah, you can't really blame the earplugs if everyone else hears, hears with the earplugs in very, very clearly. The interesting thing here is the fact that they pointed this out in the actual episode, that that is the reason why Santa suspects him. They literally put this scene in that episode. It's very rare that they call out a genuine mole sabotage that gets called out by one of the contestants, in this way at least. Yeah, definitely the earplugs one and then the Eter Discipline Challenge, I'm thinking those are the only two blemishes on Thomas's record, I think, for this season. He said he was worried about Sanna in the Moltown assignment. She's not Diedrich, but she's still quite good at this sort of challenge. He followed Joachim around to try and cover for him to swap Sanna's signs over. Then Art congratulates both Winner and Mole. He says it's great how Sanna found him, but it's been a while since only one person found the Mole. And I think Art's speaking a little bit too soon there. And then uh, Thomas, I like how during the Oregon Trail bit too, Thomas said, well, once we were down to 1,280 euros after I pushed everybody to sacrifice 9,000 euros from the pot, he said, yeah, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna ease back for one episode and not do anything. <laughs> I mean, that is very emblematic of uh, of your own going in that episode as well. Just sit back, do nothing. Yeah, it's all thematic. And of course, yeah, Thomas, you know, speeding through the lights when him and Sana were in the car together. Sana was in the car with, with the mole several rounds before she suspected him, and he's just bulldozing through yellow lights. Yeah, so when I um, when I asked your own about whether he wants to perform as uh, as Elvis again, my only note on this is just like his performance in Renaissance, he says it looked horrible and sounded awful. So many parallels. So Art then also makes Diedrich talk about why Thomas is one of the best moles ever. I don't disagree. Thomas is very much one of my favorite moles. And then Thomas doesn't. He puts he puts everyone off by saying. Actually, me being the mole, it's really close to my real personality. And then everyone's like, ew, we don't want to be friends with you. Yeah, you're a jackass. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing is they then cut immediately to Nina just going, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slit your throat. You are yeah. dead to me, bitch. You're off the Christmas card list. Go back to Flanders. So we then get the hidden clues, none of which are brilliant, I'll be honest. Thomas's face is reflected in the credits. He has a double role in the fun fair. He shouted holy moly. Two words in the paper factory were halfway in mole and Thomas appears halfway through that episode. Episode four's title was more than normal. He had more lassoes than everyone else. Episode five's title was holding the ropes. He held the cards before handing them out. The end is in sight was episode nine's one. And the title ends in the letter T, which is Thomas's initial. The books were also a hint, as we mentioned at the time. The Miss Mole clue was a real clue. They didn't actually mention it in the episode, but that was just a hint to say everyone is missing the mole. Maybe have a look at it. But the more important one there was the other book that Art showed, which is called Every Contract Leaves a Trace, as a reference to Thomas's most famous role in Soldier of Orange. The Beethoven classic for Elise, which appears in a lot of mole seasons now, number 25, is played, and Thomas's birthday is April 25th. And in both the Yoka Burn Challenge and the Lawnmower Challenge, he signed his name by stamping the mole logo and writing the M. As someone who's only seen this season for the first time now, what did you think of the season as a whole? I I enjoyed it. Um, it's not as good as Georgia. 
let's be honest, it's not as good as Georgia, obviously. Well, it's a bit different when the location they use is extremely similar to to where I live in the same scenery and stuff. So it's not like, ooh, Georgia, that's interesting. I can't believe they're going there. Here it's like, oh, just looks like what I could see at a park about 10 minutes away from my house. Yeah. So I think that's a that's a part of it. And of course, seeing a mole be very effective and also see a mole, see a mole who was still human and made a couple mistakes. See somebody like Sana when was also really good because you don't get to see the older female winner too often in the mole. And then of course we had Yakum and just just how the game progressed and Emmanuel's entertainment value. A strong cast overall minus your Rowan. There were some great challenges and then some challenges where you're thinking, hmm, they really, really wanted this rodeo theme to play out, but it didn't play out so well, especially that digging through the hay bale challenge for 10 minutes. But it was a good theme overall. It's it's a theme they didn't do that I don't think they'll ever do again and a theme they didn't do before. So, yeah. It is a very interesting season historically because obviously, as I said, it's the first one in a long while where the mole has really not gone detected. You have a really, really themed season, which I think Japan was probably the last one before this where they really went all in on the theme. The theme, of course, in Japan being Japan. You have a pretty good cast. They got a little bit unlucky with the boot order. Obviously, in an ideal world, you want your own going first because he's a non-entity and a black hole of entertainment. And I'm so glad I don't have to talk about him every single episode again. I mean, they were lucky that Diedrich and Emanuela were there towards the end. I think you'd probably want Joachim to go a little bit earlier, unless you want the hilarious backstory of Joachim surviving every execution by the skin of his teeth. But I think you probably want one of Emanuela or Diedrich in the final two. Sana is obviously a great winner. The locations were really cool. I mean, Sparks Lake is one of the prettiest places they've ever done a reveal, at least recently. Yeah. They've got themselves into a bit of a bad rut when it comes to reveal locations if they're doing it on, on location. The Sparks Lake is a really pretty one. There's a lot of very beautiful places in Oregon that I never knew about before. That's the thing. I mean, I know you said that it's it's a, an area that is very similar to where you live, so it's less exotic for you, but it's a really good choice in the end. It's just not the first choice that you'd think they'd make. And of all 50 states, yeah. Oregon would be somewhere in the, I don't I hate to say it, but somewhere in the bottom half if you had to assume where they filmed the season. Yeah, it's not a choice that you would necessarily think of off the top of your head, but it's an interesting choice in the end and a very pretty backdrop for a lot of these challenges. I mean, stuff like the hot air balloon is brilliant when you've got a beautiful location like this and the, the reveal is in a beautiful place. Obviously, there's some stinkers of challenges in there. Not going to defend the Hayville challenge. Not going to defend the entire shooting challenge in the Oregon Trail that's worth like 12,000 euros. But then you get stuff like the Underground City challenge, which is really fun. And then you give them points for doing stuff like the Oregon Trail episode. Yes, in the end, it probably falls a little bit flat. But not only do you get rid of your own, you also have a really fun thematic episode. Which they do not do. I don't think they really ever do. You couldn't have the Oregon Trail in any other season. No, I don't think you'd have anything that's so heavily themed episode-wise after this season. I mean, maybe you could make an argument for the Elber episode, but I don't really want to talk about that again. No. And then they gave out a decent prize pool, the only time they ever do. Yeah, it's the highest prize pot we've seen in a long while. 
that's absolutely no understatement. Obviously, that is mainly due to the fact that the the doubler was in play, but even 12,000 is higher than a lot of the more recent Vidim seasons we've covered. After they dropped down to 1,280 euros just a few episodes before, if that didn't happen, that pot could have easily been 35 or 40k. Easily. I do also have a couple of admissions, given that I can now say this. You know how in Renaissance I was hiding some of the moles from you? Yes. Thomas was one of the moles who appeared in the opening challenge of Renaissance in the castle. Oh. He was one of the five few people could meet. He also appeared as one of the cave projections in the Czechia kayaking challenge. Huh. I'm glad I didn't notice him. Yeah, he was one of only four moles who appeared in that one, and one of only five in the Renaissance premiere. But yeah, I don't think I have anything left to say about this season. No, I think we covered it really well. In that case, thank you for listening to our Vista Mall 2017 recaps all season long, and in fact, any episode this year if you have been following along. We'll be back in January, hopefully, assuming it's confirmed by the time this actually comes out, for Vista Mall 2022. Can't believe I'm saying that already, even though it's, you know, the 18th of June. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us on contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Logsabakwaki, and I am MJ Harmstone. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles. We'll see you very soon. Peace out and just chill to the next of flavoring.